Luke 2 is where we're going to be this morning. Luke 2 is where we're going to be. The theme of Advent this year has been arrival. Uh, and so as, as we talked about, that word Advent really means arrival. It means a waiting. It means an anticipation towards something which comes. That's what the word Advent means. And as we know that the story of God's people anticipates the Messiah, the Savior, the one who would come to redeem them, we see people in waiting. And we've gotten for, for three weeks to look at these folks that are anticipating what's to come. First, we started with Zechariah and Mary and saw people that were normal people doing priestly duties, doing the things that God had called them to do, and struggling with the thing that I think a lot of us often struggle with, which is the fact that we wonder if God remembers us. Does God see me? Does he hear me? Does he know what I'm going through? We saw God reveal himself and offer renewal even in times of silence with Mary. We saw the picture of God coming to her through the presence of an angel. God comforting her with his sovereign truth, the things that he says that will come to pass, that do indeed come to pass. And then last week, to hear the story of the Magi, who had the opportunity to exist in worldly fear, or trust supernaturally through faith in the God that loves them. Today, we're going to be looking at the shepherds. The shepherds that we find in Luke 2, as we read in verses 1 through 20. This is Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been 
told them. This is the word of the Lord to which we say together, thanks be to God. Three big things from this passage today for us to take note of. Three big things. Here's the first. Number one, God comes to the plain. God comes to the plain, the ordinary. Second, God gives us his peace. God gives us his peace. And third, God's peace leads us to praise. God's peace leads us to praise. So first, God comes to the plain, the ordinary, the lowly. How does he do that, and why does he do that? Even as short, or I guess as recently as a few weeks ago, we heard the passage here preached uh, surrounding Matthew chapter 11. And in that place where we get the one very real picture of who Jesus is in his heart, his actual heart, that phrase that Matthew's gospel says, Jesus was gentle and lowly in heart. This is something that I think we've come to expect from Jesus. He goes to the lowly. He reaches the lowly. And in some ways, I think it's really easy for us to say, well, that's just what God has to do. He's got to go to everybody. That's just God's stuff, right? But there's more. I want you to think about the magnitude of this proclamation. That the Son of God is coming. And he's taking on flesh. And he will be born immaculately, conceived by the Holy Spirit. If I had that kind of information, I think I would be pretty passionate about distributing it like really broadly and powerfully and quickly. And I would want that to go everywhere. One of my first thoughts was probably that if I was in this position, that should go to someone really, really important. Someone of great status, someone of great notoriety, someone of great influence, someone who could take this truth, this proclamation of God's goodness and distribute it and give it quickly and efficiently and powerfully and through the best mouthpiece there could be. And in Luke's gospel, he's very quick to point out the way in which God reveals himself. And the way that God reveals himself reveals exactly who he is and his heart for his people. When you read those first seven verses, you get this picture of a society, quite frankly an empire, of order. There's Caesar Augustus. He's the one who issues a decree. Quirinius, governor of Syria, governor of this province, governor of this area, is in charge of getting people to come and be a part of this registration, this census, this taking of uh, people and understanding who lives where and how many people there are to rule and to govern. These are important people. And yet Luke makes no mention of word going to them first. As you continue on, you see this. This example of Joseph and where he comes from. Galilee, Nazareth, Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. And you kind of get this picture of all of these important places and this tiny place. 
in which these words culminate. Bethlehem is this city of David, this small place. God is doing something really big in all the small stuff here in ways that are seemingly unimaginable. God is coming to the plain. This proclamation doesn't come to those who are in charge. It doesn't come to those who are in order. It comes to shepherds. It comes to shepherds. Now, here's the thing. I don't know if any of you have had the opportunity to see a Christmas play of sorts this year. Maybe you've seen something on TV, uh, but I think we can probably all get together and in a few moments historically agree that what we see portrayed as shepherds on television or in uh, our children's kind of Christmas musical is not actually what a shepherd looked like. The rod, the staff, Maybe. Definitely no like blue and greenish shoes. I think the tents of the clothing they were wearing. The life of a shepherd is vastly different than most of us imagine. When we see shepherds, I think we look at someone who has an agricultural profession, right? They do something that's agrarian in nature, but it's something that seems respectable. And they have a job of purpose and importance. You need to understand that historically in this day and age, shepherds were truly the outcast of society. Tending their flocks by night sounds beautiful. But it was ugly and cold and hard painful work. These are people that quite frankly were not just on the margin of, but pushed beyond the margin of society. It was not glamorous work. And these were people that were regarded as less than. But when you look at this text, you get the picture of, the understanding of, the very heart of God. Because God comes to the plain. He comes to the lowly. And it's obviously, naturally, of no coincidence, it's actually very symbolic and quite foretelling of who Christ will be, is that he comes to the shepherds. He's the good shepherd. And these are the people to which he proclaims good news. You want to talk about where hopes and fears of all our years meet? This is the place. This is the place where the goodness of God meets the pure brokenness and loneliness of human life. God comes to the plain. It is no coincidence that in verse 8, when Luke says, and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field. In the same region, in the same area, as he writes this, what the very Spirit of God is seeking to communicate through these little words is that Christ meets us where we are. That Jesus comes to the same region in which we find ourselves. 
And not the powerful, not the ones who are wise, not the ones who are perceived to have, have some sort of magnanimous status in the society. No. But to all of us. Those who are lowly. Those who can confess their brokenness, their emptiness, their desire to experience what they don't have. These are the people to which God comes. God comes to the plane. Second, God gives us his peace. God gives us his peace. Look down into verses 9 and 10, and you're going to see something that's really common with regard to several of the other stories you mentioned, particularly in Luke's gospel. That there's great fear as an angel reveals himself and pro proclaims the goodness of God to Zechariah. And what will happen with the birth of John? There's fear for Mary as she encounters the angel of the Lord. There is fear here for these shepherds. Look in verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, what seems so casual, it's just basically the equivalent of, hey, don't do that. Stop all that. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. What's happening in this moment? Obviously, reading down to verse 14, you get to see the ultimate expression of praise, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The purpose is God giving us his peace, but what does that process look like? What does it look like for these shepherds to experience the very peace of God? Well, here's how it starts. They're filled with fear. And you would be too, and so would I. Never have I ever experienced an angel of the Lord appear to me with glory shone around them. I would venture to say that you haven't either. And if you have, I'd like to talk after this. I have some questions. <laughs> They're filled with great fear. You can connect this moment in Luke's gospel and the moments that preceded it with, with Mary and also with Zechariah with the wisdom literature of books like Proverbs. Because the fear that's described here is not just trepidation or, or an uncertainty or a confusion about an experience that someone hasn't had. It's not just about never having seen an angel before and therefore not being conditioned to what it feels like to see something bright and have light everywhere, right? It's not that. The fear is something more. The beginning of wisdom is what Proverbs would say. The fear that's expressed here and experienced here with all of these characters, every person in the story, everyone who is in this drama to which Christ comes into, the life of these people, every one of them experiences fear. But it brings wisdom. Because this angel that appears to each is is a perfect picture 
of the fact that they're little, they're minuscule, they're human, they have dependence, they're broken, and quite frankly, they're sinful. They know they don't deserve to stand in the presence of the Lord. The fear is not just from lights and something unknown. The fear is actually likely more akin to the recognition of not only do they see and understand more of who God is, in that great light, they see more of themselves. They see more of who they are. And they recognize they have no way to stand before this God. But look at how God gives his peace as what the angel says in verse 10. Fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Great fear, great joy. This is what the Lord longs to give us. That fear of the unknown, that fear of uncertainty, that fear of our own sinfulness, our own brokenness, our own need for the God that can't, can't have anything to do with us because of our sin. That all builds to this great fear is actually being substituted for great joy. That's what's being offered, not merely to these shepherds, but through them, the world, you and me. God gives us his peace. Then in the midst of this fear, there is great joy, and look at this, it will be for all the people. If you want to really dive into this, you go into look at the, the original language, you go look at the Greek. When you look at that word all, do you know what it means? It means all. It means everybody. All y'all. Everyone. No one is excluded. This peace is for all people. This one who comes is not merely redeeming Israel as a nation. No, but drawing all people of every tongue and tribe and race to himself. God gives this peace through the very work and life of a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Unto you is born this day. Great joy that will be for all the people. You will find a baby. What do these phrases have in common in regards to the shepherds? They didn't have anything to do with this. Not a thing. All of these things happen to them. Why? What, what, what is that? What's the meaning behind that? Why does Luke convey it in that way? That they're recipients instead of people who are responsible. Because this is the good news of great joy. We can't do anything in and of ourselves to get to this God. To become what verse 14 calls... Those with whom he's pleased.
How do you get to that place to be the one with whom he's pleased? Whose life is marked, who's characterized by what? Peace. Because the ones that he's pleased with are the ones that experience peace. Paul would talk about this peace in Colossians. He'd write about it. And describe this baby grown into a sinless man who would give us his peace. How did he do that? He made peace, as Colossians 1 says, by the blood of his cross. God gives us his peace. Third, God's peace leads to praise. Look at the shepherds and what happens as a result and the actions that they take, the things that they do, the things that they say, the places they go, all of these things as a result of what God has done. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. Here's where the historical picture comes into play. They want to go see. Okay, if God comes to the plain, the lowly people like me, and God says he's going to give us his peace through this child, we've got to go see it. They take him at his word and go. The Lord had made this known to him. And what do they find? Look into verse 16. They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. Can you imagine this scene? To go to the ones and share with them what God has told them. Look down into verse 20. And you see the culmination of the experience of the shepherds. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. I think in the shepherd's returned is one of the most powerful examples of the presence of God in Scripture from these people that are outcasts in society that have been made to feel from a, from a socioeconomic standpoint, from a maybe interpersonal relationship standpoint. This guy's talking to sheep more than he's talking to humans probably, right? So there's going to be some barriers there, I would imagine. All that they've experienced... Could you imagine having this angel come to you, going to this place, seeing the Savior, and saying, let's go back. Let's go back to that field with those sheep. And just go back to what we were doing before. I would think maybe there was a shepherd in this group that was like, hey, you know what? I've seen some stuff, and you have too. There's another path here, right? We just want to go back to that life. Can we like, try to stay with these folks? We've got the message of salvation for all humanity. Maybe there's some new opportunities for us. But instead, they go back. Why? How can they return? 
Because where they are doesn't determine who they are. And now, they've not only heard of the promise of God, but they've seen it with their eyes and they've experienced it. And it results in this, glorifying and praising God for all they'd heard and seen as it had been done, or as it had been told them, rather. God comes to plain people. God gives people his peace, and this peace leads to praise. We talk so much here about becoming gospel people as a family together, becoming a local body of believers who are marked by the gospel. To be a gospel person, to be gospel people would be this. We'd be people who are, are the deepest thing that characterizes us in life is not where we're from or who we're connected to or what we look like or, or what we own or don't own or, or any of that kind of stuff. The thing that would characterize us, that would mark us, is the good news of Jesus Christ. And one of our core values, the thing that would ultimately, if, if, if we experience only by God's Spirit, will, will yield us and grow us in becoming gospel people is this. It's believing in the gospel. And when we do that, when we believe in the gospel, when we accept and recognize what God has done for us in Christ, it leads us to praise. It leads us to rejoice. These shepherds do not walk away from this moment as kind of pawns in a story. They don't leave as in this utilitarian sense of they're just kind of part of this thing and then they go back to being what they were. No, they go back to where they were, but the per persons that they are as they go back are vastly different. They're people that believe in what God has done, this good news, this great joy. People who once lived lives where they were filled with great fear. Maybe that great fear was loss of someone. Maybe that great fear was wondering where their next meal was coming from. Maybe that great fear was, will there ever be anything more to life than this? And now they return, but with great joy. And it causes them to glorify and praise God for all they'd heard and all they'd seen as it had been told them. I want to be very clear and say I understand in a modern world, a couple thousand years removed, our trepidation and our, our hesitancy to believe these things. Because you didn't hear them. And you didn't see them. I get that. I need them. But when God made himself known to his people in Christ, in his son, 
and his life and his death and his resurrection, there's this explosion of people glorifying and praising. Because there were people that had heard. And there were people that had seen. And then they went out telling people. And you're here today because of it. These words are trustworthy and they're true. This is indeed a story, but it is much more an account. It is a record of the beautiful history of God among his people. And we get to be a part of that. If you've experienced that peace, if you have relationship with God that is made possible by the blood of Jesus Christ's cross and his resurrection, you ought to be someone who praises and tells others about it. And I'm 39 years old, and I hope that the older I get this will be the case, but I don't think I've ever felt like Go Tell It on the Mountain resonated with me as much as it does right now. I believe this. That Christ came to us. And what does this mean for you? He comes to the shepherds. What does this mean for all of us? This is what it means. That God has come to plain and ordinary people like you and me. That your worth, your identity, your value is not in where you've come from or what you've done because the God of the universe has come to you with the proclamation of this good news that you don't have to be afraid anymore. That he's loved you in Christ. How do you know that? Because he gives you his peace. And, and this is the beauty of who God is. It's not just that you're okay with him now and he accepts you now and you're satisfactory to him now. But if you're in Christ, he's pleased with you. He views you as he views his son. Remember Jesus' baptism? This is my son in what? In whom I'm well pleased, delighted in. And Jesus doesn't just tolerate you either. He's not one that says, well, I've got to do what the Father longs for me to do. I've got to do this thing. Do you know what Hebrews 12, chapter 2 says? Go look at Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 today and recognize this. That the crucifixion, that the pain, that the loneliness, that the, that the sadness that Jesus would endure for you and me. The writer of Hebrews says it in this way. Because of the joy set before him. Now that sounds nuts. That that would be joyous. But this is the God who wants to give you peace. He delights in you. He loves you. He cares for you. He longs for you to trust him. And when you experience that, when you understand that, it will lead you, just like it did for these shepherds, to a place of praise. Can we remember those things in our lives as we walk out this door today? We're going to continue in worship now and sing to this God who loves us who would come and meet the lowly people like you and me, that would give us his peace 
And this should be our prayer this morning, that if you have any fellowship, any joy, as Paul would write, any excitement, any hope for what Christ has done in you, what God has made possible through him, man, could we just be people that praise him this morning and let the thankfulness of our life and what Jesus has done yield something like this, a bunch of people years later that will never know they got to experience the goodness of God the same way we did in Jesus Christ. Amen? If you will, pray with me. Heavenly Father, you come to the smallest of places You come to the smallest ones. And Father, I would imagine that for each of us in this room, for every brother and sister here, when we look inside ourselves, we probably say, God, how are you mindful of me? And Father, we find your heart that you would come to us, the plain, the ordinary, the lowly, with good news of great joy that can dispel fear because your love casts it out. Father, may we be people that praise you and worship you for all that you've done for us in Jesus. Father, we thank you for your Son. It's in his name we pray.